Well, we're there in Genesis chapter number 23, and for those of you that may be guests with us tonight, or maybe you haven't been to our Sunday evening services a lot, what we do on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights at Verity Baptist Church is we'll pick a uh, section of scripture, and we'll just kind of go through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we'll see what we can learn from it, and we'll see what God has uh, to teach us. Tonight, uh, we've been going through on Sunday nights uh, through a series entitled The Patriarchs, and we're studying the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and tonight we find ourselves in chapter 23. What's interesting about chapter 23 is that chapter 22 is probably the most famous uh, chapter in the life of Abraham, and then in chapter 24, we transition from the life of Abraham to Isaac. Abraham is probably the one that has the most spoken of in Scripture, so I would say we're uh, definitely, you know, uh, more than halfway, uh, you know, more, more than one-third uh, through, through the, the series, but we're, we're going to transition to Isaac. But in chapter 23, I'll be honest with you, when I started studying chapter 23 for the, for the sermon tonight, I was kind of scratching my head and thinking to myself, what in the world am I going to say about this chapter? And, you know, it's interesting because I, I, sometimes you, you read the chapter and it just kind of like the sermon writes itself. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just there and it is what it is. And sometimes you got to really read it and study it and think about it. And I was thinking to myself, like, what am I going to... I was almost tempted to just skip chapter 23, to be honest with you, because I just couldn't figure out what I was supposed to say about it. And here's what's interesting about that. Now I find myself here on a Sunday night and I've got two sermons <laughs> to preach out of this chapter, and here's the thing, I don't want to spend two weeks in Genesis 23, so I'm just going to preach them both tonight, okay? And it, we're not going to be long, okay? Don't worry, we're not going to be here for two hours. I'm just going to give you a little bit of one, and if it doesn't look like that's going well, then we'll switch over to the other one, okay? If that works for you, uh, we'll, we'll just try to go through this as quickly as we can. We're just going to read the Bible and make application as we go. You're there in chapter 23, look down at verse number one, notice what the Bible says, and Sarah was 120 years old, she's 127 years old, these were the years of the life of Sarah, and Sarah died. That's what this chapter has to do with, do with the death of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. The first thing I want you to notice from this chapter is that we learn about this idea of death and mourning. And here's what's interesting. Sarah dies, and if you look at the last part of verse 2, the Bible says, Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Keep your place there in Genesis 23. That's the text for tonight. But go with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you got to find those T-books in the, the end of the New Testament, you got all the T-books are clustered together. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and look down at verse number 13. The first thing I want you to notice tonight, and if you're writing notes, you might want to write this statement down, is that we ought to mourn for the dead. We ought to mourn for the dead. There's nothing wrong with that. In Genesis 23, 2, Abraham's uh, wife dies, and the Bible says that Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. But I want you to understand something. It's, it's fine, and it's, in fact, it's the pattern in Scripture for believers to mourn for the dead. But, you know, be careful not to cross into uh, the idea of depression or just a deep sorrow when someone dies because the Bible teaches us that when you are saved, I'm talking about a believer dies, someone who had a clear testimony of salvation the Bible teaches that we are to not sorrow as those which have no hope. Amen. Are you there in 1 Thessalonians 4? Look down at verse number 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. The Bible says this, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, the reference there to being asleep is it's just a euphemism for death. Now, we don't believe in what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach of soul sleep. The Jehovah's Witness will teach that, you know, your soul goes to sleep and you're basically asleep until the resurrection. The Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, it teaches the opposite. Because here we are told that they are asleep, but notice it's not referring to their soul, it's referring to their body. Their body's asleep, their soul is in heaven. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And here we are told, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye, notice what he says, that ye sorrow not, 
even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And I want you to notice that this is a common theme when it comes to this idea of death. If we believe that Jesus died and uh, was buried and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. See, the Bible teaches here that when someone is saved, someone is in Christ, someone is a believer and they die, it's fine to mourn. It's fine to weep. Here we see Abraham, the father of faith. In Genesis 22, we saw him willing, if God wanted, willing to put his son Isaac to death, believing that God would resurrect him from the grave. But yet, he took the time to mourn and to weep for Sarah. But we need to be careful not to cross a line because the Bible says, ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. And, you know, it gives us comfort. You're there in 1 Thessalonians 4. Keep your place in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to come back close to that area later on in the sermon. But go with me to the book of John, John chapter number 11. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And you know what? As a believer, you ought to commit in your heart to not fear death, to not be afraid of death. The Bible says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Uh, you know, the Bible says that God's with us, and we ought not be afraid of death. I remember hearing of a, of a, of a, of a pastor years and years ago uh, outside of the state who, who was dying, and uh, other, there was other, uh, a friend that I have told me the story, and he told me how uh, they, they had called the family to be able to comfort the family, and they, they knew that they were all basically there in the home, and they were uh, 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 around, you know, the, the, the bed there, and they're basically waiting for this man t- to die. And, and different pastors and different people were, were calling in order to comfort the family. And, and one, of the wi- the, the, one of the wives, good night, the wife uh, of this man who was dying told one of the pastors, they, they said, how, how are you doing? How is your husband doing? Are you guys okay? Do you need anything? I want to encourage you. And, and she, she made a powerful statement. She said, my husband is teaching us how to die. And, and she said, you, you won't believe it. He, he's dying and he's comforting us. He, he's dying. We're here to comfort him. And he's opening the Bible and reading to us. He's singing hymns with us. He's praying with us. She said, my husband is teaching us how to die. And you know, as believers, that's how we ought to face death. We ought not be afraid of death. Obviously, we don't want to die. Obviously, we want to, you know, live as long as God would allow us. But you know what? We don't sorrow as those which have no hope. Like we were talking about this morning, we have a heavenly hope. We believe we will see them one day. We believe that we will see them. Now, unfortunately for unbelievers, they do sorrow as those which have no hope. It's difficult to comfort a family when you're not, you know, but it's always nice when you've got to comfort people and and you know that the one that has passed away had a clear testimony of salvation. You know they were a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that they were someone that that is in heaven and that we can meet again back there uh, someday. Go go, go to John chapter number 11. Are you there yet? John chapter number 11. Look down at verse number, um, I was going to have you start at verse number 32, but let's see. Look at verse 32, and then we'll move up, and I'll show you a couple of things. John chapter 11, look at verse 32. Remember, this is the famous story of Lazarus. God, Jesus is going to resurrect Lazarus. And notice what the Bible says in John eleven thirty-two. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Now I want you to notice verse 35. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And what's interesting is that Jesus is getting ready to resurrect this man. Jesus is coming with the intention to resurrect Lazarus, yet Jesus took the time to weep. And I want you to understand, there's nothing wrong with that. And I believe the Bible tells us this about Christ because he's given us a pattern. When someone dies and when someone passes away, we ought to take time to mourn. We ought to take time to weep. We ought to take time to to remember and, and to grieve the loss that we no longer have that individual with us here on this earth. But we need not sorrow as those which have no hope. And we can have that confidence that if Christ rose from the grave, then he will rise those who are dead in Christ with him. In fact, you're there in John 11. Look, look, look up at verse number 24. John 11 and verse 24. 
earlier in this conversation that Jesus was having with Martha, he says this, Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Talking about Lazarus, look at verse 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Those are comforting words from the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, those that believe in me shall never die. And listen, when, when a believer dies... Make sure you use the right terminology. When a believer dies, we use that word die or death. And I understand there's nothing wrong with using that word. And that's how we see it. But believers don't die. That's why he said, you know, they're asleep. Their body's asleep. God's going to resurrect it someday. But listen, your last breath here on earth as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll just take your first breath in heaven. He says, he that believeth in me shall never die. And here's the question of the ages. Look at verse 26. Believest thou this? Isn't that always a question? Isn't that the question we ask everybody when we go out soul winning? We say, do you believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave, that he wants to save you, that he wants to resurrect you, that he wants to give you a home in heaven? And then, of course, the question is, believest thou this? Do you believe that? Are you trusting in him? Look, if you're trusting in him and your loved ones are trusting in him, then we need not sorrow as those which have no hope. It's fine to mourn. In fact, it's right to mourn. We see Abraham mourning. We see Jesus. Jesus wept, is what the Bible says. We see him mourn. We ought to mourn for the dead. But we ought not sorrow with as those that are without hope. Go, go back to Genesis 23. Let me show you something else about death that we can learn from this passage. Not only do we see a pattern here of mourning from Abraham, but I'd like you to look down at verse number 3. Genesis 23, and look at verse number 3. And Abraham stood up from before his dead... And spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Notice Abraham talks about the fact that he wants to bury his dead. And I want to say this to you tonight. I act, it's interesting because I had this sermon written before this morning's sermon, the Sunday night sermon was already written. And, you know, in the afternoon, I take some time to review it and go through it. But the, the, the basic outline was, was, was finished, and I was planning on speaking about this tonight and to, this morning after the morning service. And I understand we've been talking a lot about the afterlife. We've been talking about death, the glorified body and heaven and all those things. This morning after church, I had somebody, as I'm shaking hands on the way out, somebody asked me a question. They said, Pastor, uh, you know, what does the Bible teach about cremation is it okay for a believer to be cremated i thought you know it's really interesting you're asking that question because that's not something that we talk a lot about in sermons and yet i'm preaching about that tonight you know and i went and answered the question for the individual but i want you to understand something uh here in genesis 23 and verse 4 and throughout the entire chapter we see abraham emphasizing that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, we've been in 1 Corinthians 15 a lot lately. We spent a lot of time in it last Sunday morning on the subject of the glorified body. But I want you to understand something. The biblical pattern set forth by Abraham and all of God's people throughout the Bible, the biblical pattern is that believers ought to be buried. Amen. Now, let me, let me just take a moment and explain something. I don't necessarily believe, and I'm not of the, of the mindset, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need to do more study on it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, if you get cremated, that's a sin, all right? I don't necessarily think it's a sin, but I will tell you this. I'm not ready to say, well, that's a sin, and you got to get buried. I don't know that it's a sin or not a sin, but I will tell you this. The pattern in Scripture is that believers bury their dead. The Lord Jesus Christ was buried. Sarah was buried. You'll see that all of the patriarchs were buried. And, and we're told, we're told to do that because there's a picture there of the resurrection. I know you're familiar with it, but let's look at it together. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse number 3. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3. Notice what the Bible says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Here's the Gospel. Christ died for our sins, look at verse 4, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus was buried, 
and he rose again. Now skip down to verse number 12. Notice the picture of burying believers. Verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain? Yea, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ from whom we raised not up. If so, be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Uh, then is not Christ raised. And I, I want you to notice, I, I must have missed there. Uh, I, I want you to look at those verses, but I want you to see something else here in 1 Corinthians 15. I know we saw it uh, together just a couple of weeks ago, I must have taken it out of my notes, but look at verse 36. Thou fool, thou which thou sowest is not quick and accept it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain. It may uh, chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, other of flesh of beasts, and other of fishes, and another of birds. These are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, and one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the, rex- is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. And here's what I want you to understand. There is a picture of your body being a seed that gets sown or planted down in the ground. And when you plant a seed in the ground, you, what you're, you're, you're acting upon the faith that that seed will spring forth in life. And when we bury our dead, what we're saying is, I believe this seed will one day spring forth in life. It'll be resurrected. We'll put in a mortal body and bring out an immortal body. So there is a picture there of burial. And again, I understand today, you know, our society has made burial, you know, cost. You know, the love of money is the root of all evil. And you you wouldn't think it'd be that complicated to bury someone. I mean, there was a day when you just go find a field somewhere and dig a hole and you'd bury them and you'd hold a service and you'd uh, read some scripture and you'd pray and you'd weep and, and you'd move on with life. And now our society has just turned this into a big money thing, you know, and I understand some people just can't afford it and they might feel that they have to cremate their loved ones or they have to cremate. And, and look, I'm not here to tell you that's a sin. I definitely believe that God can take those ashes and resurrect the body from there. I'm not saying, but I will say this. The pattern, the pattern in Scripture is to bury the dead. And if you can, if at all possible, I just want to encourage you as a believer to bury your dead. You know, uh, when I die one day, hopefully not soon, but when I die someday, you know, do me a favor, just bury me, all right? And look, it doesn't have to be fancy, all right? I'm not some prima donna, okay? Put, put me in a, you know... Uh, you don't even need that big of a coffin. I mean, I'm not that tall. Just get, 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 get something. Put me in some box somewhere and dig a hole somewhere, you know, and just bury me. You don't have to mark it or anything. Just, you know, bury that body and say, hey, we believe that God will resurrect him from the grave. We sorrow not as those which have no hope. We believe that they will be resurrected. Now, let me show you something interesting in this chapter. I didn't get to deal with it back uh, a couple weeks ago because I, I had so much I, ha- I had to show you, and I don't want to skip it now. But look at verse 12. I want to show you something interesting about the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Notice what it says. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, and Christ is preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? There are people who teach that there is no resurrection. In fact, the Jehovah's Witnesses today will teach that Jesus did not resurrect from the grave. They'll say that his resurrection was only spiritual, that it was not a bodily resurrection. I don't want to look at all the verses because we saw it just last Sunday, but we saw that the Bible teaches that when Jesus resurrected from the grave, he resurrected in a bodily form. He had a body that had, you know, flesh and bones he ate. It was a bodily resurrection. And by the way, that's part of salvation. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. You've got to believe that to be saved. 
You can't say, oh, no, God didn't resurrect him. It was just a spirit. They saw his ghost. It's funny because exactly what Jesus tells the disciples, I'm not a spirit, is what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach today. No, it was just a spirit. It was just a ghost. It just looked like a body. But it wasn't the bodily resurrection. Now, here's what's interesting. Look at verse 12. How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Look at verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? Here's what he's saying. If we don't resurrect, it'll be because Christ didn't resurrect. Now, look, if Christ has the power to resurrect from the grave, then he has the power. If he can die and resurrect himself, he can resurrect you. But he says, if there is, if Christ did not rise from the grave, then there is no resurrection. Look at verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain. He said, our, 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 our preaching is empty. There's no point. There's no point to meet. There's no point to preach. There's no point to go out and preach about Jesus if he died. Do you understand? That's why it's so important to the gospel. If all Jesus did was die and get buried, then he was just a man. Do you understand that? He died like any other man. Everyone dies and gets buried. Everyone dies and, and, and their body, we do something with their body. What showed him to be God is that he resurrected from the grave. Now notice what it says. Verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found... I want you to notice the wording here. And we are found false witnesses of God. He said, you are found a false witness of God because we have testified of God that, we, that he raised up Christ, who he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Now, please understand what he's saying. He's saying, if, if we are preaching that Christ resurrected and he truly did not, then he says, we are false witnesses. He said, our witness is false. Look at verse 16. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? Now, here's what's interesting. Okay? Paul makes it clear Christ did arose. In fact, look at verse 20. Skip down to verse 20. He says, but now is Christ risen from the dead. Because he's saying, if he didn't rise from the dead, we are preaching a false gospel. We, and I like the terminology, he says, we are false witnesses if we preach that Christ rose from the grave and he really did it. And then he goes and says, but of course we know, verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. But I want you to follow, just follow the logic. He's saying, if Christ did not rise from the dead, and we preach that he did rise from the dead, then we are false witnesses because we know that he did not rise from the dead, yet we're preaching it. Now, we know that he did rise from the dead. So, so here's the logic. If Christ did rise from the dead, and they're preaching that he did not rise from the dead, you know what makes them? False witnesses. They're not Jehovah's Witnesses. They're Jehovah's false witnesses. And I'm here to tell you, they're going to die and go to hell if they don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, I can't believe you would say that to Jehovah's Witnesses. If they don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ, they're not saved. You must believe in the resurrection. And by the way, that's why these cults all attack the deity of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the fact that Jesus is the only one that can save you. And it's funny to me that God kind of throws that in there. Like he, of course, he knew that there'd be a religion called the Jehovah's Witnesses, and he's and he's telling us, no, 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 I rose from the grave, and if they're preaching that that I didn't rise from the grave, that makes them false witnesses. He said, if you're preaching that I rose and I didn't, that makes you a false witness. But we know he did rise, so he said, you know what they are? They're a bunch of Jehovah's false witnesses. They're preaching a false gospel. They're not. So anyway, that, I thought that was interesting. I didn't have time to deal with it before. Uh, look, look at verse 17. Let me show you one more thing out of this chapter, and we'll go back to Genesis. First uh, Corinthians 15, look at verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is, in, is vain, yet ye are, uh, ye, ye are yet in your sins. He, he said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, guess what? You're not saved. You're still in your sins. Then they also which be fallen asleep, those uh, in, in Christ, he said, those that died in Christ, guess what happens to them if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? They're perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. You understand what he's saying? If there's no resurrection, it's not worth it. You know, we sing that song, It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. That's true. Living the Christian life is not worth it if there's nothing on the other side of this, there's no resurrection, there's no rewards, there's no heaven. Hey, if Christ be not risen from the dead, you know what we are? Of all men, most miserable. Amen. We're wasting our lives if it's not true. But here's the thing, we know it's true. Amen. We know he resurrected. 
We know we don't have to sorrow as those which have no hope. But it's interesting because he, he continues to look at verse 30. Skip down to verse 30 for a second time. Verse 30. And why stand ye in jeopardy every hour? So why are you getting all these death threats on your phone? I mean, just yesterday I got someone telling me, I'm going to show up to your church on Sunday night and I'm going to X, Y, and Z and all these things, you know. I don't see them. You know. <laughs> but, you know, they, they keep calling me. They keep threatening me. They keep saying all these things of my preaching. Hey, why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. Look at verse 32. If after the matter of men I have fought with beasts of Ephesus, what advantage is it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He said, if there's no resurrection, there's no point. But let me tell you something. There is a resurrection. Jesus did rise from the dead. There is a hope for the afterlife. We don't have to sorrow as those which have no hope. So we learn, number one, that we ought to mourn for the dead. Not sorrow as those which have no hope, but it's right to mourn. And you know what? Mourning may last a long time. Mourning may last years. Mourning may start up again during times, uh, special times when you remember maybe the birthdays or, or the anniversaries or, or, or those special times. You know, And I just want you to understand there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's normal. Jesus mourned for Lazarus. Abraham mourned. But we ought not sorrow as those which have no hope. We ought to, number two, bury the dead. You know, if at all possible, don't, don't cremate uh, your, your believing loved ones because, you know what, there's a picture of planting them, sowing them, saying, I believe that this will spring forth with life. Go back to Genesis 23. Let me give you one more thing on this. Genesis 23. I said, number one, we ought to mourn for the dead. I said, number two, we ought to bury the dead. Number three, we ought to consider the dead. You know, when people die that are close to us, we ought to take time to consider their death. Not only to consider their death, but to consider death in general. Because it's interesting what, what uh, Abraham says at this time. In Genesis 23, 4, he makes this statement. He says, I am a stranger. The word stranger means foreigner. He says, I am a stranger and a sojourner. A sojourner is someone who's a temporary visitor, someone who's temporarily here. He says, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Now, he's talking to the children of Heth. And it's true what he's saying, but you know what? There's a spiritual application here. When, when someone dies or when we're thinking of death, we ought to rem be reminded that, you know what? We are only strangers and sojourners on this earth. This world is not my home. We're just passing through. We, we, we seek a better country. Go, go to Hebrews 11. Let's look at the verses real quickly. Hebrews 11. If, if you kept your place in 1 Thessalonians, you got 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. If you kept your place in 1 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Hebrews 11, look at verse 14. These are beautiful verses. We could have looked at them this morning, but I tried to save them for tonight. Hebrews 11, look at verse 14. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. See, we are just pilgrims on this earth. We are just sojourners on this earth. Don't get too attached to this earth. Don't get too attached to the things of the world. Today you got Christians that are not willing to, to take the right stands. They're not willing to do what they need to do. They're not willing to be faithful things of God. They are distracted by the things of this world. And, and you know, they act, they act as if all they've got to live for is this world. All they've got to live for is this job, this business, this house, this car. Listen, we are just here temporarily. Our life is but a vapor. It appears for a little time and vanishes away. The amount of time that you will spend on this earth, alive on this earth, compared to all of eternity, is so small and so minuscule that when someone dies, we ought to take the time to consider that and to remind ourselves that we will one day die and we are only pilgrims and strangers and sojourners on this earth. Don't get too attached. Don't get too wound up with, well, you know, I got to make sure. And look, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You know what? The afterlife is what it's all about. Go back to Genesis 23. All right, so here's the thing. That was sermon number one, okay? Now, that's 29 minutes, okay? So that's shorter than normal. I'm going to try to preach sermon number two in the next 20 minutes, okay? Let me give you sermon number two because I don't want to spend two weeks in this chapter. 
And I want to move on in, in, in to Genesis 24. Go to Genesis 23. Look at verse 5. Okay, we're going to change gears here. We're going from mourning to the marketplace. Because this chapter is interesting. The first part of it deals with the death of Sarah. I mean, the entire chapter deals with the death of Sarah. The rest of the chapter deals with a, a, a business transaction between Abraham and the sons of Heth. And he's purchasing a burial spot for Sarah. But there are some things that we can learn in regards to business. I want you to write these statements down, especially if you're in business. If you're in the marketplace, if you run a business or something like this, you ought to remember these things. Let me give you these statements. Write them down. We'll move quickly as we can. Number one, in business, stay humble. In business, stay humble no matter how successful you are. Genesis 23, look at verse 5. And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my Lord. Now notice what they said to Abraham. They said, Thou art a mighty prince among us. See, Abraham was a very successful man. He, was, he had a very successful business. He had many servants, much property, much wealth. And they said, hey, you are a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchers, bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold, thee, uh, uh, withhold from thee the sepulcher, but that thou mayest bury the dead. Notice what Abraham does. And Abraham stood up, I want you to notice what he does, and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. Now, when he bowed, he wasn't worshiping them. But he was basically just showing physically that he was esteeming them better than himself. Because here's the thing. They, if any, you know, the, the greater, the lesser is going to bow down to the greater. And they just got done saying, thou art a mighty prince among us. And he could have said, well, in that case, why don't you bow down to me? But notice, they told him, you are successful, Abraham. You've done great things, Abraham. You've got a lot of money, Abraham. You've got a lot of employees, Abraham. You've got a lot of servants, Abraham. But you know what? One of the great qualities about Abraham is that he stayed humble. And he was okay with bowing down himself to them, even though he was the most successful man there. Look at verse 8. And he communed with them, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me to Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he hath, which is in the end of, uh, of his field, for as much money as it is worth, he shall give it me for a possession of a burying place amongst you. And Ephron dwelt among the children of Heth. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the audience of the children of Heth, even of all that went into the gate of the city, saying, Nay, my Lord, hear me. The field give I thee, and the cave that is therein, I give it thee in the presence of the sons of my people. Give it I thee, uh, uh, Give I it thee, bury thy dead. Look, verse 12. And Abraham, I just want you to notice what he does again. Abraham bowed down himself before the people of the land. And you know what? In business. Go, go to Deuteronomy chapter number 8. I know this is a passage we, sh I, I've, I, we look at a lot here, but let's, let's look at it together. Deuteronomy chapter 8. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. In business, stay humble no matter how successful you are. Don't be one of these guys. Or one of these gals that's just always walking around talking about, look at what I've done and look how successful I am. And in business, I did this and I did that and I made this much money. Hey, don't be that guy. Abraham wasn't that guy. Abraham, they said, hey, you are a mighty prince among us. And he bows himself down to them. And he says, would you help me? He says, I want to entreat of you. He said, I'm asking you for help. And, and he bows and he stays Humble, Deuteronomy chapter 8. See, Abraham understood something that all of us need to understand when it comes to the business and to the marketplace. Deuteronomy chapter 8, look at verse 17. And thou say in thine heart, my power and my might and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. See, whatever success you have is because God gave it to you. Whatever wealth you have, it is God that gives you the power to get wealth. It is God that gave you that mind. It is God that gave you those hands. It is God that gave you that talent. It is God that gave you that success. And listen to me, he could take it from you at any moment. So before you get so caught up in yourself and look how great I am and look at all the business I've got and look at all the things I've done, hey, why don't you bow down at least in your soul and your spirit and say, you know what? It is God that gives me the power to get wealth. And it's God that has prospered me and helped me to succeed. So in business, number one, stay humble, no matter how successful you are. Go back to Genesis 23. Let me say this, number two. I said number one, in business, stay humble. And number two, uh, point number two is this, in business, secure witnesses. It's interesting what we learn here in this chapter about Abraham doing business. Abraham was a very smart guy when it came to business. And notice what he does. Look at verse 10. 
And Ephron dwelt among the children of Heth. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham. Notice, notice, in the audience of the children of Heth, even of all that went in at the gate of the city, saying, Nay, my Lord, hear me, the field give I thee, and the cave that is therein, I give it thee. Notice, in the presence of the sons of my people, give I thee, bury thy dead. Go, go down to verse 13. And he spake unto Ephron, notice, in the audience of the people of the land. Skip down to verse 16. Notice what it says. And Abraham hearkened unto Ephron, and Abraham waved to Ephron the silver which he had named, in the audience of the sons of Heth. Go skip down to verse number 18. Notice what, the, what it says. Unto Abraham for a possession... In the presence of the children of Heth before all that went in at the gate of the city. You know, Abraham, Abraham is dealing with friends here. This, this conversation between him and, Heth, and the sons of Heth and Ephron is not a bad conversation. In fact, if you look at the passage, they're fighting not about who's going to get the better deal. They're being super gracious to each other. Ephron is saying, I, I want to give it to you, Abraham. I want to give you the land. And Abraham's like, no, I want to pay you for it. They're arguing about who's going to pay the bill. They're arg- you know, these, these guys are not trying to you know, do each other wrong. They're, they're friends and they're, bus- they're, they're in business. But I want you to notice, even with friends, they secure witnesses. And listen to me very carefully. And we don't have any problems at Verity Baptist Church at this time that I know of. <laughs> Always got to give that disclaimer. Uh, people fighting because of business relations. But look, even within church, be very careful about taking this attitude of like, oh, I'm just going to do business with brother so-and-so. We don't have to talk about it. We, you know, whatever. Hey, you know, be very careful with that. It, sometimes it's just good to have witnesses. You know, and in our modern day, you know, maybe we don't have witnesses. You write it down. You both sign it or whatever. You know, make sure that they're, especially when dealing with believers, there are so many times you know, as a pastor where I will do business with people within church. And, you know, so many times, and, and, and maybe you've done business with me, and you know this is true, and I appreciate your spirit, and I appreciate your love. And there are so many times when people come to my house, and I want to hire them to do something, and they're like, Pastor, no problem, just whatever, no big deal. And you can, you know, as, as much as God allows me to, and you can ask my wife as a witness, I never let that happen. I'm always like, no, 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 let's not do that. Let's just talk right now, you know, in the presence of all, of everybody, let's just decide right now, how much is this going to cost? How long is it going to take? How are we going to be, because I don't want to rip you off, and I don't want you to rip me off, and I don't want anything to happen between our relationship. And just when it comes to business, it's a smart thing, even with friends, and I would say especially with friends. Secure witnesses. Do it in front of an audience. Make sure someone else knows what's going on, and, you know, don't just assume because that's how feelings get hurt, and that's how people turn against each other, and, and, and that's not what you want to do. And Abraham was smart enough to know, even with a friend that's trying to give him the land, and he's saying, no, no, I don't want you to give it to me. I want you to pay, and he's like, no, I, I want to give it to you free. Even in that type of relationship, over and over in this chapter, we're told that they're doing this in the audience of the children, in the presence of the sons, in the audience of the people, in the audience of the sons, in the presence and before all, we're told once and again, they do it within witnesses. So you know what? In business, not only stay humble, but in business, secure witnesses. It's not, you say, well, that's going to be rude to brother so-and-so. No, no, it's not rude. You're actually protecting the relationship and the integrity of the relationship. And sometimes it's good to have a third party because you know what happens is I'll say one thing and I'm thinking one thing and you'll hear that, but you're thinking something else. Sometimes it's good to have a third party. I can kind of just judge and say, no, no, no. You know, well, I thought you meant, and I thought he said, and, and I thought sometimes it's good to just have a third party who says, let's make sure we all understand what's going on here. So in business, stay humble. In business, secure witnesses. In business, number three, seek to pay a fair price. In business, seek to pay a fair price. Don't try to rip people off. Look at verse 9. Genesis 23 and verse 9. Notice what it says. Notice what Abraham says. That he may give me a cave of Machpelah, which he hath, which is in the end of his field, for as much money as it is worth. Notice, Abraham's not out for a free lunch here. He's saying, I want to buy this uh, cave for as much money as it's worth. He shall give it me for a possession of the burying place. Look down at verse 13. And he spake unto Ephron and the audience of the people of the land, saying, But if thou wilt give it, I pray thee, hear me, I will give thee money for the field. Because Ephron's saying, you can have it, Abraham. And he said, no, no, no. 
you know what? I don't want to take advantage of you. I've got the resources. I want to give you money for the field. Take it of me, and I will bury my dead there. Look down at verse 15. My Lord, hearken unto me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. So Ephron finally tells him, well, here's what it's worth. What is that betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore thy dead. And Abraham hearkened unto Ephron. And Abraham weighed to Ephron the silver, which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, current money with the merchant. Here's what I want you to understand. In business, seek to pay a fair price. Don't, you know, uh, try to rip people off. And especially in the church world. Don't just assume, well, brother so-and-so has this business. I'm just going to come have him do the work for free. You know, don't just assume people, you well, they'll do it because they're a brother in Christ. Hey, seek to pay a fair price. Now, let me say this, okay? Let me say this. We've got generous people in our church. I know, there, I know right now there are people that have told other people in our church, hey, I'm going to take care of that for free. Look, if they're offering to do it for free, I'm not talking about that, Okay? If people are offering, say, hey, I want to help you. I know you're in need. I want to do this for free. Hey, that's, that's being gracious. God will bless them for it. There's nothing wrong with someone saying, I want to help you out financially, or I want to do this for you, and, and it's not going to cost you anything. I'll pay for it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. That is totally fine. What I'm against is, and I get these phone calls, where people literally call me, and they're like, Pastor, my electricity is having problems. Can you call Brother So-and-so and have him come fix it? And I'm like, I'm not Brother So-and-So's boss. I, brother So-and-So's busy. Brother So-and-So's running a business. You know what I mean? Like, this idea that like, oh, well, I'm part of a church. So, you know, this welfare mentality. We're like, well, you know, I mean, of course. I mean, church people, of course they're going to. If they, if they do tile, if they do plumbing, if they do electrical, if they do landscape, of course they're going to do it for free. Don't have that attitude. Now, if they offer to do it to you for free, praise the Lord. God will recompense them. But Abraham was not out for a free lunch. Ephron says, I'll give it to you. And he says, you know what? God has blessed me. Why don't I, I just want to pay you for it. You know, and, and have that attitude where you seek to have a fair price. And if people want to be a blessing for you and they want to do it for free, praise the Lord for it. Go for it. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't assume that. Don't assume, well, you're just going to do it for free because you're, you're my brother in Christ, aren't you? Hey, you know, in business, seek to, fair a praise of, uh, to pay a fair price, not to rip people off. Don't assume that just because someone's a church member, you know, and when people call me and they say stuff like that, I'll just say, you know what? I'm not going to call Brother So-and-so. You know, why don't you just call an electrician? Why don't you just call a plumber? Why don't you just call whatever? And, you know, we'll, we'll help you out. We'll pay the bill. But I, I don't, I don't want to put that on someone else. You know, and, and, and just don't have that attitude, that mentality, like, it's owed to me. You know? And unfortunately, our government has done a lot to kind of set up a culture that just feels like things are owed to them. But you know what? Seek to pay a fair price. And if people want to be a blessing to you, praise the Lord. If people say, hey, you know what, brother? I'll do that for free. I'll take care of it. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Praise God for that. God will bless those individuals, and you you can take advantage of that. But you ought not have that attitude where you're just kind of wanting to take advantage of people. So I said, number one, in business, stay humble. Number two, in business, secure witnesses. Uh, Number three, in business, seek to pay a fair price. Number four, in business, specify exactly what you're getting. In business, specify exactly what you're getting. Notice Genesis 23, verse 17. Notice what they said. And the field of Ephron, which is in Machpelah, which is before Mamre, the field, notice how specific they are, the field and the cave, which was therein, and all the trees that were in the field, that were in the borders round about, were made sure unto Abraham for a possession. They've got their, their witnesses there, and they said, hey, hey, before everybody leaves, let's just make sure we understand what's going on here. I'm purchasing the field, I'm purchasing the cave, I'm purchasing the trees, I'm purchasing everything round about the border. They were very specific. You know, in business, seek to be specific. Seek to be specifically, uh, specify exactly what you're getting, what goods and services, especially if you're working with someone in church. You know, if someone's going to help you out or, or some, you're hiring someone to do business, seek to, seek to get, pay a fair price. And if they want to give you a discount or they, whatever, hey, praise the Lord for that. But make sure you specify, what am I getting for the price? What are we doing here? You know, don't, don't go, especially because we, we think, well, this is a friend. And if I, if I start asking specifics, he's going to think this and that. But you know what? You're actually protecting the relationship. By not having something to argue about at the end, but you just know exactly, this is what I'm doing, this is how long it's going to take, you know, you're paying for this, you're paying for that, I'm paying for this, I'm paying for that, whatever it may be. In business, specify exactly what you are getting. This is, these are lessons from Abraham, a great businessman, 
a successful businessman. Let me give you one more. Look at verse 15. This is Ephron saying to Abraham. He says, my Lord, hearken unto me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. I want you to notice, I love this statement that Ephron makes to Abraham. He says, what is that betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore thy dead. You know what Ephron was saying? Go, go with me to Luke. Luke chapter number 12. You know what Ephron was saying? Ephron was saying, Abraham, your relationship and my relationship is worth more to me than the 400 shekels of silver. He said, what is that betwixt me and thee? And of course, Abraham says, no, you know, I want to pay you for the field. But you know what? Let me say this. In business, sacrifice money before relationships. Sacrifice money before relationships. Money is not worth losing a relationship over. And, 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 you, and if you don't think this happens, this happens all the time. Luke chapter 12. Look at verse number 13. Notice what the Bible says. Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. And one of the companies said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Here you got two brothers fighting over the inheritance left over from mom and dad passing away. You don't think this happens every day where, people, where brothers and siblings will fight over money left over from their parents? But here you got, you got someone coming to Jesus. Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. He says, you know what? Jesus says, you know what? It's not worth fighting over money with your brother. I mean, there are things worth fighting for. Money's not one of them. He says, don't be covetous. Don't fight with money. Hey, have the attitude of Ephron who says, you know, what is that betwixt me and thee? Go, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me just show you something quickly. I know I, I'm almost done. Look, I've been preaching 46 minutes. That's the equivalent of one sermon, okay? So you're getting two for one, but, uh, but I'm, I'm not going to charge you overtime, all right? 1 Corinthians 6. We didn't come to that agreement. We should have specified that with the audience, but it didn't work out. 1 Corinthians 6. Look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians 6.1, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matter? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to life? Here, Paul is talking about believers taking each other to court. He says, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust? He said, don't take, don't sue your brother for money and take him to court. And by the way, at Verity Baptist Church, if you sue someone in this church or you sue the church, we'll just kick you out. We won't put up with that. Because here he says, look. Don't you know that in heaven, don't you know that in the millennium, don't you know that in the afterlife, we will judge angels? We will judge the world. Look at verse 3. Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgment of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge the, uh, who are least esteemed. The church. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'd rather you take the brand new, the newest Christian and let them judge you instead of some unsaved reprobate judge. Instead of some unsaved, corrupt judge, he said, why are you going to law before, with your brother? He said, let, let the least esteem of the church judge. Look at verse 5. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. And I love, I love this phrasing. You ought to underline this in the, in the Bible. Here's Christianity. Here's what he says. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourself to be defrauded? He said, why don't you just esteem other better than yourself? Why don't you take the, you say, Pastor, you don't understand. I went into business with brother so-and-so, and he ripped me off. Hey, why don't you just suffer wrong? Why don't you just allow yourself to be defrauded? Jesus said it this way. Why don't you just turn the other cheek? If they ask you to go a mile, why don't you go with them twain? If they ask you for an article of clothing, give them your coat also. He says, he says it's not worth money. And listen to me. When it comes to business, sacrifice money before relationships. It's not worth it. Have the attitude of Ephron with Abraham. What is that betwixt me and thee? And, you know, I've, always, I've said this publicly, and I've always said this, and I, and I haven't had problems with this. But I've, I've always said, whenever I do go into business with someone in church, if I hire someone to do something at home, 
I go into it the mentality that if this thing goes sour and they completely mess up and I'm not happy, I'm going to pay them whatever they want and I'm going to love them and I'm going to pray for them and I'm not going to allow this to cause a rift between our relationship. And sometimes, sometimes, if I need something done that is really important, I'll hire someone that I don't know. You know why? Because I, I, sometimes I just like to yell and fire people, you know? And it's hard to yell and fire someone and then, you know, be their pastor on Sunday morning. So don't get offended. You're like, well, pastor, I found out pastor is doing uh, something and he, uh, he didn't hire me to do it. Maybe it's just because I think our relationship is more important than money. And, you know, in business, I'm not saying don't do business within church. I think it's great for you to do business within church. But, you know, if it comes down to it, sacrifice money before you sacrifice relationships. Stay humble no matter how successful you are. Secure witnesses even when dealing with other believers. Seek to fa pay a fair price and don't rip people off. And specify exactly what you're getting. And know what you're getting yourself into. Go back to Genesis 23. Let's finish up. I got, I got to be done. Genesis 23. And, and, you know, at Verity Baptist Church, we have it in our, in our, uh, in our bylaws, and, and we teach it at the, at the membership class and all that, that we, we will, based on 1 Corinthians 6, we, we'll, we'll kick you out for suing us and for suing, you know, other church members or for chewing, suing people without attendance church that aren't church members. Uh, you know, because here's the thing. You can sue anyone for any reason you want. But we don't have to sit there and look at your stinking mug every Sunday either, you know, and, and shake your hand on the way out and smile at you while you're suing us in court. Does that make sense? So we will kick you out for suing us. So um, put that paperwork away. Genesis 23, look at verse 19. Genesis 23, let's finish up right now. Genesis 23, 19. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah's wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is therein were made sure unto Abraham for a possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. You may be wondering yourself, why is, this, why is this story in the Bible? Why is this burial spot so, I mean, God gives this thing an entire chapter. Why is that? It's important because of this. This burial site becomes the burial place of the patriarchs. Sarah is the first one that gets married, uh, married gets buried there. But you know, uh, Isaac and Ishmael bury Abraham in the same place in Genesis 25 and verse 9. And Isaac and Rebekah are both buried here, according to Genesis 49 and verse 31. And Jacob buries Leah there in Genesis 49 and verse 31. And Joseph buries Jacob here in Genesis 50 and verse 13. So throughout the rest of the book of Genesis, we keep coming back to this place. Every time a patriarch dies, we come back to this place. So God gives us this chapter to kind of give us context about the importance of this place, the burial spot of the patriarchs. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.